Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. So Father, we want to give you thanks and praise. We want to worship you, Lord, with our hearts, our minds, with our intellect. God, we want to give you uh, every aspect of our lives because you are worthy. You, in fact, you alone are worthy. You are our maker. What do we have that we did not first receive from you? And so as we sit here tonight, we seek to give you our time. We seek to give you our attention. And we seek, Lord God, your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. That, Lord, that we would be instructed in truth, that we would be instructed in all that we need to know uh, to live a life of godliness and to walk in your call. Lord, thank you for the example of Abraham. And what we have here in Genesis, as we learn and grow in the faith, may you truly do a work in us as we make ourselves available to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of tonight's message is Faith's Reward. We're going to see Abraham be rewarded for his faith, and I'm not talking about monetary blessings. Uh, A lot of people are motivated by faith these days so they can get rich, so they can have monetary blessings. We're going to see Abram rewarded for his faith with something far greater than wealth and health and prosperity. We're going to see him rewarded with righteousness, justification, salvation for his faith. Tonight's passage is one of the most significant passages in all of the Bible and sets uh, really uh, a precedence for what salvation would be. Faith's reward is the title of tonight's message. Before we jump into the text, though, let's just pretend for fun that... I was a master craftsman, okay? Phenomenal carpenter, phenomenal home builder. Now, I'm decent. I can, like, do some drywall and some flooring. I might even actually be able to build a house, like, if it came down to it. It probably wouldn't be a house I would want to live in, but I could. I, probably, I could probably get by. Some of you guys are probably really good craftsmen. Uh, I have some friends that are just amazing, but let's just pretend tonight that I am a, an amazing craftsman. Let's say I promised you that I was going to make you, build you personally a multi-million dollar custom home. So, and I was going to do everything. I was going to lay the foundation personally. I was going to do the framing, the, the drywall, the electrical, the plumbing, you name it, everything. Finishing it, bringing in the cabinetry, and this beautiful custom home, and it would be yours. And that was my promise to you. I even did all the paperwork for you, made sure it was in your name. All of that stuff, okay? Now, let's say I came to you with the keys. If you had faith in me, in my promise to you, if you had faith in my abilities to fulfill my promise, you would take those keys, and you'd be like, where's my house? Let's go live in that house. But if you did not have faith in me, if you did not believe that I would keep my promise, or that I would be even able to fulfill my promise, you wouldn't take the keys. You wouldn't even bother. You, in fact, you might take the keys, but you would never actually go live in the house if you lacked faith in me and, and in my promise to you. Well, this is a picture of salvation, guys. You see, the Lord has done everything necessary for you to be saved. There is no more necessary work for your salvation than what Jesus Christ has already accomplished upon the cross. He has arranged everything for you. You simply receive it by faith. And in this chapter, that's the point we're going to see, the main point we see in the life of Abraham, that God makes this amazing promise to Abraham, which he receives by faith, and God accredits him righteousness for this faith. So let's jump in. Verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. 
He says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. Now, I personally like the New King James translation. It says, I am your exceedingly great reward. So more than, hey, your reward's going to be awesome, God's saying, Abram, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. And I love that about God. He is our reward. But he comes to comfort Abram's heart. He sees, heart, he, he sees Abram's heart. He sees this fear. And so he speaks to Abram through a vision in order to assure his heart. And by, I, I just love that about God, that when he sees you fearful, he, he doesn't want you to live in unnecessary fear. He seeks to assure our hearts before him. He wants to strengthen us. I've heard it said in, in numerous sermons, I haven't fact-checked it yet, but I've heard it said that it says not to fear 365 times throughout the Bible. God desires to assure your heart before Him. The only fear that you really should have is fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you have true fear of God, guess what? It drives out all other fears. When you have God on your side, what, what else should you be afraid of? He, comes to, he seeks to assure Abram's heart and to encourage his heart. Now, likely one cause for Abram to be fearful, and what a lot of commentators say is that he just basically defeated these kings. He smacked a hornet's nest, and he could be fearful that these guys are going to rally themselves and retaliate. And that's a, that's a huge possibility, and that he could be worried about these kings coming back to his territory seeking revenge. Now, we know that Abram has been promised this land, and if he's going to own this land he's going to need protection from the surrounding nations. He's going to need victory if they should come against him. And so God promises to be his shield. There is this real need for Abram to walk in his calling in order to possess this land, and that is protection from these really other, other nations that are more powerful, quite frankly. And God says, Abram, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. And what the Lord really spoke to me about this is that God is... God is fully aware of the obstacles that stand in the way of your calling. He's aware of all of them. You're aware of just some of them, and they kind of freak you out, right? He's aware of all of the obstacles, and guess what? He plans to be the one to equip you to fulfill your calling despite the obstacles. I like to say that God will never call you to something that he's not prepared to equip you to accomplish. If God's called you to a life of 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 abstaining before marriage, if he's called you to that, which he has, then he will equip you to fulfill that. If God has called you to be an honorable businessman where there's a lot of people who are cheating out there, God will equip you to fulfill that. To be a student who doesn't cheat on the online exams, he will equip you and bless you and honor you for honoring him. He will equip you you to fulfill that. He always equips us for his calling for our life. But what I see here is that our calling has to have needs within them. And I don't know what you need for your calling, but I want to tell you that God, if it's God's calling for you, He will be what you need. Do you need a shield? God will be your shield. In your, are you up the creek without a paddle in your calling? Because God will be your paddle. Are you in the wilderness of your calling? Because if you are, God will be your oasis. He will be your, your drink of water in the wilderness. He will be what you need to fulfill your call. And so if, if this is a call from God, we should expect God to want to fulfill these needs. We should expect a calling from God to have needs in it that God intends to meet, to have holes in it that God intends to fill. 
Your calling should have question marks because God intends to be the answer along the way. He likes it when we depend on Him. And so this is, if you write anything down, this is something that really stuck with me. A true calling from God will have the need for God. So don't be surprised when you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do. It means you need God. And God intends to meet you there. So he could be afraid of this retaliation taking place, these kings coming in. But he might be fearing something else. If we actually look as, 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 as the text unfolds, let's see how Abram responds. Verse 2. It says, But Abram said, O Lord, God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. A member of my household will be my heir. God's like, Abram, don't be afraid. I will give you what you need. And Abram's like, but I still don't have my offspring. I still don't have the thing I need to fulfill my calling, Lord. You see, Abram might have been dealing with with something else, a different kind of fear, and that is the fear that he had missed his opportunity. The fear that he had missed his chance to fulfill his call. I don't know if you've ever experienced that fear, but it's a scary thing to think that you may have missed the opportunity for God to do something great in your life. You guys are at a young age. Um, Right now you're thinking this is the prime age. In fact, there's a lot of pressure right now in in the 20s-somethings. There's a lot of pressure to accomplish great things. And I want to tell you to hold your expectations for your 20s loosely. Be open-handed. Because you're going to hit 30 and you're going to have... The older I get, the more I, I, I think about this question. Have I missed my opportunity for God to do something great through me? And it's, it's a scary thought that your life is a window. There is a window of opportunity within your time frame, within the, your relationships for God to use you to make an eternal impact. And that window will one day close. Opportunities will end. And I think that's it's terrifying. It terrifies me to think that I might go to heaven one day to realize that I missed out on all that God had for me in my calling. That there was eternal work that He was desiring me to accomplish and I missed out on it. That's, that thought scares me. I hope that thought scares you. I hope, you, I hope you, you picture yourself before the Bema Seat of Christ because there are people, Christians, who will stand before the Bema Seat of Christ in all their all of their pursuits will burn up with the exception of maybe a few. Only a very little will actually last for eternity. There there will be Christians that this will be their lot. This will be their story. And I do not want it to be mine. I do not want it to be yours. But I wonder if at this point in time, Abram is wondering if that's his. Had he missed it, he's he's almost to the point, not quite yet, but he's almost to the point where he can't have kids has this window shut and he's worried. This could be a fear that he has. Abram is not one of these people, however. He, is, he has made mistakes. He has wandered a little bit in the wilderness. However, he's right where God wants him to be now. So God assures his heart before him. And the one thing the Lord keeps showing me as I'm, as I'm looking at Abram's life, looking at God's timing in my life, is that seldom, very rarely, is God's timing the same as yours. Very rarely is the God's timing the same as mine. His timing is often a lot slower. It often takes a lot longer for God to do His work within us. 
to put this in perspective for you guys, the time Abram, from the time Abram promised to receive a child, it took him 15 years to actually get Isaac. 15 years he had to wait for this promise, wondering, can I even have kids now? They, haven't, they, they weren't able to bear any children for some 80 years. 15 years he had to wait. Joseph, Abram's great-grandson, had to wait 30 years for his promise to be fulfilled. Moses had to wait 40 years before God's promise was fulfilled and he led the people of Israel. David himself, anointed king as a young boy, had to wait some 30 years before he became king, before he was actually anointed king. Listen, God's work is slow. It's steady. It's not hasty in your life. He, he builds a steady pathway. He directs your path and makes it straight. He equips you to walk in His calling, and so it will take some time. So be patient. I don't know if, you're, if you have these fears, if you struggle with these fears, but I want to tell you now, if you want to walk in all that God has for you, then just be faithful to what God is calling you to do today. Don't strive. Don't try to get ahead of God. Don't try to make things happen. Just be faithful to what God is calling you today. That will hasten God's fulfillment of His call in your life. God may be saying to Abram, look, you haven't missed your call. You haven't missed it yet. I still intend to fulfill this promise to you. And you haven't missed out. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. He comes in and he assures him, look, this, your chance has not passed. Look, Abraham, I know you've already prepared to lower your expectations of my promise, but you don't have to. I assure you, it will be everything that you hope for and more. For I am your exceedingly great reward. Don't lower your expectations for my promise in your life, Abram. Don't we tend to do that sometimes? We tend to lower our expectations for what God will fulfill or what He's promised to fulfill or what, we'll, what we're told He would do in our life. Sometimes we wait and we wait and it doesn't happen. And so I think we're afraid that maybe God's not big enough to do it. And so we lower our expectations. Here's a few ways we do this. I don't know if you've ever had that thought, but you're like, man, what if heaven is like totally disappointing? What if it's like this, the longest, most boring church service of your life and it just goes on and on? Have you ever had that thought? And you just worry. You're like, what if I'm totally disappointed by heaven? That's one of those examples of, of downplaying and undermining the promise of God. Heaven is, it, the only reason we think that is because we lack imagination to anticipate how amazing it will be. Heaven is going to be so incredible. The things you enjoy in this life are but little tiny tastes of something greater in heaven. Heaven is going to be awesome. We don't need to downplay God's promises. Here's another way that we do this sometimes. We think, how could Jesus really honestly forgive everyone's sin who, who, who comes to him in faith? How could, how could a guy dying on the cross bring about forgiveness for the, for the world? I don't understand that. We tend to downplay it because we lack understanding of how grand, the, the magnitude of the grace of God. We forget, we lose sight of that. We downplay the work of the cross. But it's far greater than we even understand or know. It, it, this kind of reminds me with Abraham kind of like second guessing, well, is it just going to be this servant in my house? It reminds me of when Jesus came to, to Martha after Lazarus, her brother, passed away. Jesus came a few days after Lazarus passed away and he comes to, to Martha and he says, Martha, 
don't worry, Lazarus will rise again. And Martha, just doing her best to believe in the midst of her grief, in the midst of her disappointment, in the midst of her failed expectation, she says, yeah, Lord, I I know Lazarus will rise in the last day. I know that'll happen. And Jesus is like, well, she's a good listener. I mean, she, she believes in my eschatology because that's true. But Jesus, Jesus didn't assure her of that. He said, Martha, look at me. I am the resurrection and the life. When you see me, you see resurrection power. When I'm around Martha, people can rise from the dead whenever I want them to. I am the resurrection and the life. And so what does he do? He raises Lazarus from the dead, exceeding her expectations. But she ended up downplaying Jesus' work. And we tend to do this. We tend to lower these expectations because we often doubt, God forgive us, but we doubt that he's not big enough. And, And we doubt God's character. We doubt God's abilities. And I wonder if this wasn't taking place in Abram's heart. Is it just, God, is it just going to be like proverbial, proverbially fulfilled through this guy that works for me? Like, is this somehow going to be the way? No, Abram, it's going to be your own kid, your own son. Now, we know God, there are moments in life where God doesn't meet our expectations. We all have that. Two main reasons why this happens. Number one, as I said, it's not his timing. We often want it now, today. The second reason he doesn't meet our expectations is because you're expecting the wrong thing. Because I'm expecting the wrong thing to happen. In the book of James it says that we ask and not, do not receive because we ask amiss wanting to spend it on our earthly pleasures. Because we're not in the right heart with our expectations. But I want to tell you, those are two reasons why he may not meet our expectations. But it is never because God is not big enough. Do you understand that? When your expectations are met, aren't met and you're feeling disappointed... Don't ever believe it's because God is not big enough. Don't ever think that it's because God does not love you or care about you. God knows what he's doing and he is able. He is our exceedingly great reward and he's working exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Abram, my promise will not be proverbially fulfilled. You will have your own son, someone born physically from you. And I'm going to wait till it's physically impossible for you to do this, God says. Then the Lord gives Abram something to do in this next verse when he begins to lower expectation upon God. He gives him something practical to do and that is to look at the stars. If you're starting to feel like God's pretty small. Verse 5. He brought him outside and said, look toward the heavens and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. My promise to you is going to be amazing. You think, you picture a son who might have some kids, who might have some more kids, and turn into a, little, a cute little nation. You have no idea what I have in store for you, Abram. Now, of course, we know Abram's the father of faith. So his offspring is not just the nation of Israel. In fact, he also fathered the Arabs. Abram did through Ishmael. But he would be the father of faith. In other words, the father of everyone who would put true faith in God. That he would be the father as more beyond what Abraham would ever imagine. His his promise will be fulfilled. In verse 6, it said, And he believed the Lord, 
and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, my wife and I, we were in the backyard a few nights ago just looking at the stars. And it's amazing how they really like suck you in. They really command your attention. We live kind of far east, so we have a little bit less light pollution. And you can see the constellations, they just pop. And I feel like I could just sit there and for like an hour, I could just stare at the stars. And they're not really, by the naked eye, there's not a lot going on. We know there's a ton going on if you have like the right equipment to view it. But by the naked eye, they're just, they're just static sitting there, but you just want to stare at them. They just draw you in. And I think, it, I think it's the vastness of the sky, the magnitude of these stars, when you realize how far away they are, how big they are, just to think and sit there and feel so small and remember that God is so big. And this is what he tells Abram to do. Go out and look at the stars. Get out there. If you start to lack faith in my promise for you, just go look at the stars. Now, verse 6 is so significant. This was the verse I was referring to you before. This is the first time the words believe and righteousness are mentioned in the Bible. The first time. The law of first occurrences, it's called. Whenever something pops up for the first time, it's typically very significant. And in fact, this is the first explanation as to how salvation would work. Right here in verse 6. He believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is quoted four times in the New Testament where the author is explaining to us how salvation works. They use this very verse to help us understand. You see, in chapter 3, rewind back to Genesis 3, we have the Proto-Evangelium. The first time the gospel, or any gospel, is promised, is mentioned in the Bible. It was when sin entered into the world, the fall had entered, deeming mankind unrighteous, fallen short of the glory of God, cursed with sin. And God promised that there would be a man born of the seed of woman who would deliver mankind from the power of darkness, from the power of sin, from the curse of the law. That was the Proto-Evangelium. But they didn't know how that would work. God now reveals Himself to a man of faith and explains to us through the life of Abram how salvation would work. And it's called imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. God is imputing righteousness upon those who are saved. And notice it's a banking term. It says he counted Abraham righteous or accounted. Some translations even say accredited Abram with righteousness. It's this banking term. It's as though God takes your bank account of extreme debt that you could never even pay back. And he not only wipes the slate clean and zeroes out the debt, he deposits vast amount of riches in your account. That's what's taking place. You're accredited with righteousness. Righteousness. 